welcome back to Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. This is Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep for Western United Dairies. And as Darby and I mentioned last week on the show, we're going to be all business for the next few weeks, sharing updates to keep our producers in the loop on important industry affairs, returning to our regularly scheduled content this January. This week's updates include a market report from our economist, Tiffany LaMandola of Blimling, a reminder about our Luceros Unidos program with our coordinator, Rochelle Segura. And finally, we're going to reshare Anya's virtual kitchen table meeting from this past week where she covers the results of the 2020 election. Or I guess I should say the results as they stood as of the recording of that event on November 5th. Without further ado, let's jump right in with Tiffany. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. Well, we were expecting a busy week, and that is certainly what we got. Uh, setting aside all the election-related activity and narrowing in on dairy markets, um, you know, we started off with a week, uh, the week with a disappointing global dairy trade event on Tuesday. The 4.5% drop in skim milk powder did little to feed the bulls uh, for nonfat dry milk, and that along with what seems like plenty of milk to keep the dryers pretty active out in the countryside, kept pressure on the nonfat market this week. We ended uh, at 106 and a half, down four and a quarter cents in the spot market. The data released around nonfat this week was a little mixed, however. Um, of course, this is all for September. We did see rather heavy production for the month of both Indium and skim milk powder up 11.4% year over year. We were off slightly on our export volumes with our biggest loss uh, being to Mexico, which has been kind of a common theme this year. The good news though, in light of all that, we actually pulled our non-fat inventories lower for the month down 7%. And on the heels of that, I think we saw the futures market rebound just a little bit on Friday, uh, possibly absorbing that, that rather, you know, a little bit better news. Finishing out the class four space, butter did claw back four cents this week to $1.43. Buyers seemed willing to step up and do a little bargain shopping as we, you know, dipped into the 130s late last week. The dairy products report did confirm heavy production in September, which is what we had expected. We were up 5.4% for the month on output. And while bulk supplies continue to overhang the market, uh, retail activity continues to be encouraging. Uh, data from stores and retail level uh, shows they are gearing up with holiday promotions. It was cheese that suffered the largest setbacks this week. Now, levels are still at extremely elevated um, levels, but Blocks did lose 44 cents this week, down to 234 and a quarter. Barrels were off 21 and a quarter cents to 231.75. And the normal block barrel spread has been uh, pretty much restored after hitting historical highs not too long ago. We did see a noticeable change in trend this week with sellers reemerging in Chicago. Uh, with both blocks and barrels, and buyers largely stepping to the sidelines. Contacts report a little more cheese is shaking loose out in the countryside, uh, with some of those fill-in orders starting to trail off. And for those buyers that buy on a previous month's average, 
uh, anticipating some folks are balking at the really high October trailing month average. That's a wrap for this week's update. We look forward to talking with you again as we head into mid-November. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Now we'll toss it over to Rochelle for some reminders about Lucheros Unidos de California. Hello, dairy members of Western United Dairies. My name is Rochelle, and I help with dairymen with the program Lecheros Unidos de California. What is it about? Does it work? Those are two good questions. Let me tell you one fact of all facts about this program. This program helps out and gives a little push to dairymen that are looking to hire or need help to get employees in any other possible ways. It works out when you find the correct person for the job, but at times, it does have its difficulty, like dairymen have mentioned to me recently, how hard it is to get employees nowadays. It does the same for me. I get a lot of calls during the day of employees interested when a job is posted, and I always try to keep track of them to revise if they have been given a lot of help with jobs in the past and they haven't showed up when sent that day or stayed after they had already t- tried out the job. There are different reasons, like they currently have a job, or they're just searching for new horizons, or they just wanting to know how much are paying, and so on. For example, an employee that was sent to a job offered or advertised, and he saw it, and has been chosen to keep coming to the dairy, so he tried out the job, and he was told, um, you can keep coming. And he suddenly stopped showing up after one or two days. That means a no-show. Those type of persons, I just stop sending them over just to avoid other dairymen to get upset or disturbed. So, just a reminder. If this has happened to you, it's okay. There are more employees not discovered yet. So, if you are needing help on hiring employees, even though you didn't get any when you called in, maybe this time you will. Or, if you need a post a job it's free for members please call our office number at 209-527-6453 or you can email me at r-a-s-h-e-l-l at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com and ask for your employer questionnaire to get you started and for all of those already in it i appreciate your time and patience in working with me you'll never know that you'll be hiring in no time thank you and have a nice day Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. As always, we appreciate Rochelle's updates. Next, we'll move right into Anya's recorded kitchen table meeting from November 5th. Uh, my name is Anya Radaba. I want to thank everyone on the phone. I admit that I can see I don't know everyone. Uh, 
If you do have a question throughout the presentation, uh, feel free to holler. Um, but I do uh, respect everyone's time and I try to be pretty concise. Um, there may be some mild opinions throughout this. I will um, preface that these are not the opinions of our board or of Western United Dairies PAC, but uh, generally I'm here to give an election update and kind of prepare uh, anybody in the cow industry for some changes coming your way in California, along with um, perhaps some bright spots that have happened in the last 48 hours. So we won't make this all doom and gloom. Um, we will try to focus on some of the positives. So big positive to, to report, and this is something that California Cattlemen's, California Cow Council, Western United Dairies, uh, just about any ag coalition out there or co-ops, uh, including uh, most of the ag constituents in the almond and pistachio sector, we fought really hard on Prop 15. And I am pleased to report that as of now, there is a very slim three and a half point margin where the proposition is failing. So if you will recall, Proposition 15 was the split role uh, property tax initiative. I will caveat this along with all the other results that they are still tallying votes. Um, a lot of the precincts are coming in a little slower, um, but uh, at the moment, it looks like Prop 15 has failed. I will continue to update folks in our newsletter, but this was the second highest in history in California's history of a spend on any proposition. That includes both the in favor of, the proponents for, and the opposition. Uh, so we came in at a whopping, um, let's see, $124 million was spent uh, both trying to advance this proposition and to defeat it. I believe this is the largest ag spend. If you had to look at ag as a separate bubble in the history of California agriculture. So clearly um, uh, farmers, producers united to try to make sure that this proposition failed. Um, you know, as a caveat in general, kind of an ounce of prevention can be uh, something that uh, might go a long way. And this is why Western United's board continues to feel that being politically engaged and being politically preventative might actually help us get out of some of these propositions in the future. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that's a huge victory. And I think that um, there are some downsides to this. Of course, in, in California, we are looking at around a $50 billion budget deficit because of coronavirus impacts. So um, Prop 15 was at least by many local municipalities viewed as a way to help out with some of those holes. Uh, we could debate certainly where some of the money was gonna go, but uh, generally I believe that the failure of this proposition is probably going to warrant a special session in the legislature where they will be reconsidering how to raise money for some of the school districts and some of the other things that are going on. So that's something Western will be um, babysitting and watching out for, trying to figure out where we can elevate our voice, but. Um, it's certainly uh, with resounding uh, results at the moment that Californians felt like more tax increases across the board were not something businesses or themselves could stomach. And so we're hopeful that the legislature takes that torch back with it very seriously. All right, I will move on to another big one. Um, and before we go into some of the special districts and some of the um, Senate districts that have been won and lost recently, I am focusing specifically on California politics. I will make um, some general notes about congressional races later, but 
generally, this is um, an area that Western spends most of its time and energy and money in, uh, because uh, again, on the DC side, things are just really swampy and they're also uh, very expensive. So Prop 22, uh, again, for those of you not familiar with uh, the parlance, the Prop 22 essentially established independent contract work for gig employees. Uh, for example, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, there was a few other proponents of that. But this proposition has now pulled into first place by three times the amount of spending, both for and against, of any California proposition in history. They spent over $226 million uh, trying to convince the voters of California that this was a bad plan. The voters, uh, for better or worse, have bought that. Uh, this is actually rolls back some of the conditions of AB5 for these particular technology industries. I will put a caveat there that despite their victory that these, uh, that these technology companies have won, the rest of us still have to bear the burden of AB5, which is uh, the one where we changed some of the conditions around independent contracting. There have been 150 exemptions to AB5 since it was written last year. Uh, dairy and agriculture is not one of them. So if you continue to have questions about how to implement AB5, we have a whole host of resources at Western that we can help you with. But uh, that's kind of the give and take of beating back the California politicians in this case, which is what happened. The voters basically arm wrestled uh, the, the California politicians who supported AB5 back a bit, but the rest of us are left holding the bag uh, where as uh, these tech companies are now exempting themselves from complying with AB5. So I think that the battle will continue to rage. Um, obviously the union support uh, with the, the union opposition to Prop 22 is significant. Uh, and I have yet to kind of see how that plays out in the next few months and what that's gonna look like. Um, but this is where an ounce of prevention is worth its weight in gold. Um, it's, I think they call it worth a pound of the cure. Um, if Uber and Lyft had spent less than 1% of that $226 million, uh, maybe perhaps ingratiating themselves a little bit differently with the legislature, um, they probably wouldn't have had to go where they went. So that's a, it's a model that uh, the dairy industry can only learn from as we try to approach legislators about compromise and figuring out, because we don't have $226 million to run a proposition. I think that moving forward, it's really important that we think about where our best prevention strategies and where our best coalition building strategies lie. I'm going to move into the state legislature briefly. Uh, in general, we've got two houses in the legislature, and I apologize if I'm um, a little bit too nerdy about politics. So uh, on the Senate side, it is a much just like the U.S. Congress. Um, the Senate in California is smaller. The terms are longer, uh, four-year terms. They're more deliberative, and there's only 40 of them. Uh, the Democrats picked up at least two seats thus far. Uh, they may pick up two more. So a week ago or a week two, or two ago, I gave um, an interview for our podcast, Seen and Heard, where we were anticipating a much deeper shade of blue. And we were expecting that of the 11 Republicans out of 40 senators, uh, we were going to drop down to five or six Republicans. It looks like uh, we're now going to stand possibly at nine Republicans, maybe seven. 
So there's some reasons for this. There were some open seats that um, have really good candidates. And I will stress that this is not a situation where there was a Republican versus a Democratic candidate. This was a situation in more cases than not where you had um, a moderate Democrat facing off a more uh, left-leaning um, progressive Democrat. And so uh, two of the seats went uh, for, those, for those reasons. Uh, but you have uh, generally in the Senate, uh, there have been larger swaths of districts where people have been, I think, more impacted by gerrymandering and more impacted in a way where they view issues like the coronavirus in blocks. So for example, large populations of senior citizens have been written into districts in some cases that uh, kind of elevates uh, where and how they vote on that issue. And it's not that different from the US Senate actually, if you, if you think about it. So on the assembly, uh, we actually have some good news to report. And I say good news from Western's perspective, it does not mean we're choosing a party. It means that in the advancement of good policy, we prefer as an organization to have an equal balance of opinion and viewpoints when it comes to the legislature. So when you have a party that has lots and lots of dominance, there are fewer viewpoints that are offered up for consideration. And representing business owners, that's something that's um, really important to me. I wanna make sure that our business point of view is heard. And so in the assembly side, we're actually looking at the assembly keeping the makeup of itself the same. So out of 80 total seats, right now there are 61 Democrats and 18 Republicans. There are going to be, uh, well, there was an open seat, so there's going to be 62 Democrats and 18 Republicans. And so that's, um, again, they're still counting votes. There's a few really, really close races, uh, some too close to call, but uh, it has not been a deeper blue wave like they anticipated. And so that's uh, something that's really, really changed on the outlook here. A couple of things to uh, point out as we move forward before I talk generally about the California plurality problem that we have in how we market our milk. Um, we have uh, on the congressional side, there Republicans are doing much better than anticipated. And obviously your view of how that anticipation was shaped, it depends on what media you were taking in. Um, but generally, right now, uh, former Congressman David Valadeo is beating the incumbent, uh, T.J. Cox. Uh, they are very, very close. They are within 3,000 votes right now. If you'll recall, in 2018, T.J. Cox beat out Congressman Valadeo by 826 votes. It was the last election to be called in the United States in that year. And so um, I'm sure the recount will be hotly contested, but right now um, it's, a, it's a good lead with 3,000 votes that former Congressman David Valadeo has, has gained. Um, a couple other things. I think that that's one of the bigger ones actually that, I'll, that I will hold on to, but um, interestingly, we've got two Republicans down in Orange County that are holding slim leads over incumbent Democrats, which would mean those seats would flip in Congress, and that's a very different look uh, than I think was projected by most media outlets. So generally, I'm gonna focus on some conversations that our PAC meeting will be uh, kind of covering. Anybody on the call, or particularly if you're a Western United member, you are welcome to attend our PAC meetings. If you are not able to attend in person, 
We are offering Zoom meetings as an option if you register in advance. Uh, we are having our next PAC meeting on November 19th down at the Fresno County Farm Bureau at noon. Uh, so please check in with me or find your field rep if you are interested in attending that meeting. But generally, looking at the landscape of California is how our PAC board makes determinations on how and where to try to influence policy. And when I say influence policy, I mean spend political money. And so California gained in this election over 3 million more registered voters. That's pretty astonishing uh, compared to what we had. And it's important to point out to members on the phone and, and folks that are really thinking about that landscape that of the 3 million more registered voters, the Republicans only got 8% of those. Democrats received 54% of that additional bump, whereas no party preference got 26%. So the numbers continue to be very blue in California. Um, if not a lighter shade, they're deep, deep blue. Um, this is the first year that the new motor voter law took full effect. If you'll recall, that was the condition where as you got your provisional and, and learning driver's license, you could, re you could register to vote. So a lot of those kind of aging uh, 16 year olds have now come of age and they're able to vote um, at age 18. Um, and this is also the first year that um, there were some additional um, ballot canvassing activities that were in full effect. It started in 2018, but uh, some people call them ballast harvesting. harvesting. Um, I call it canvassing. And so those um, activities really, really picked up in this 2020 race. But as we look forward, some of the larger messages that I want our members to take away from what's happened on the proposition side of things is that voters, at least in this election round, really helped pound California lawmakers. Every single proposition that Governor Newsom uh, backed failed. Um, and every single proposition that was put forward by the legislature looks to be failing. It's either a razor thin margin or it's already been called. And so what does that mean for progressivism? It means that at least the constituency in California is a little worn out. They're a little bit broker. Um, perhaps they may be insecure with respect to where their next paycheck is coming from. And so they really checked the California politicians. And I think that for business, because I, I think I started off by telling um, Ms. Mertens that California is the, the worst state when it comes to a scale of business friendly activities. And so for business, I think that there is a window of opportunity to have better conversations in the next few years, hopefully while things settle down before we begin 2022. And so the way we market, particularly our new innovator products that the CMEB is working on, um, that is a demographic of people geared towards the middle class. Obviously, we work with our checkoffs and you pay your money to the checkoffs to try to move as much product as possible. You know, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, we want those checkoffs to be moving as much milk. And so the innovator programs that, they're, that they've developed recently, which surrounds the innovation and development of new products, uh, particularly around consumer preferences, uh, particularly around um, Hispanic uh, demographics. There's also a variety of new products that they're marketing to the Asian market. Those are around working class demographics. 
And so one of the things that we're seeing overlaid with this kind of pushback on taxes is a dramatic, um, I think, uprising from the middle class in California. They're either making their voice heard through these ballot propositions, which is kind of exciting, or they're choosing to leave California. And so that's a demographic that I'm hopeful our PAC committee will pay particularly attention to when we decide our policy direction and what we really want to fight for in California dairies um, in the coming years. So with that, I will stop talking and open the floor to anyone that might have questions. Hey, Anya, Dave Kulas, I got one. Oh, hey, Dave. Hey, everybody, by the way. Um, Prop 15 failing, but it's still a super majority. And now if Biden gets in, Newsom's going to have free reign to do whatever he wants. Um, just because Prop 15 failed and there's still a super majority, are they just going to push 15 through? Or since you say it's a lighter shade of blue, are they going to back off on uh, that proposition or what they were trying to get done? Yeah, you sound like a pessimist. Um, I think that- I've been in the pack long enough, I, you have to. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So I, I started off by saying that there has been many threats up to this point about a special session of the legislature later this month in November. The only reasons that I can see them calling a special session of the legislature are to deal with wildfire impacts, which thankfully, and I, I pray to God that they stay going down the way they are, um, or to handle a tax problem, which uh, California is still facing a $50 billion deficit. Um, to silver lining your question, should Vice President Biden become the president, the treasury will be used liberally and California will probably receive a substantial bailout check. Should President Trump retain the seat in the election, um, California can expect less money. So with the failing of Prop 15, it may be a silver lining if there is one that Vice President Biden becomes president because then he would bail out California's woes. Does that make sense? As opposed to a tax increase. Nothing makes sense this week, but nice try. I'll give you that one. <laughs> well, I'm just, again, I'm trying to look at all situations. If um, Vice President yeah. Biden becomes president, uh, we're also going to see different movement and a different conversation on water um, than we would under President Trump. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to look. I think you're going to see a lot of shuffling with um, office holders here in California if Vice President Biden does come out victorious. There's a lot of Democrats in California to choose from for certain posts, if you follow me. So um, it's really going to play a role in how the policy work on water and taxes is shaped. I am worried though, Dave, that being having this defeat on Prop 15 is going to continue this conversation about taxing the rich in a way that um, we can only hope they're taking the hint 
the Californians were not appreciative of being asked to pay for more taxes. And maybe everybody learned their lesson with the gas tax too, so, but that's good. We'll see. There's um, a continued conversation around in this particular arena, cap and trade, um, because people are not driving. Uh, the irony there for both the gas tax and cap and trade is that there are not funds available to either fix the road or stimulate a greener um, outlook on cap and trade projects that would, would, would lower GHG or we use the tractor program quite a bit to replace diesel engines. But without uh, funding available, uh, that entire structure is, uh, is at risk. So that, I actually think that's going to be one of the biggest fights we will have in the legislature in 2021. Are there other questions from the floor? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, Sharon, I can. Yeah, um, I'm currently not a resident of your area, but somebody posted this and I thought I'll see what's going on anyhow. And I guess what bothers me is there never seems to be any suggestion of cutting costs or cutting spending. It's just tax more, tax more, tax more. And uh, where I live currently, they're suggesting that now too. And it's a big uproar about it. No, no more taxes. Um, is there any, anything, any suggestion at all that uh, the cost of doing things and that need to be looked at and cost cutting measures? Cause it's obvious, you know, Things aren't going good with taxing people. Okay, I'll let you go. I'll mute myself here. Thank you. Good. That's a great question. And until about 10, day, 10 days ago, there was not any conversation about cutting budget, um, reducing staff at the state capitol. I, I can only speak from California. I'm not precise uh, as to what other states are doing. But uh, just recently, 10 days ago, the governor has ordered a 13% reduction in staff salaries across the board for all departments of state, uh, which will help tremendously with respect to filling budget gaps. He's also offering, each department has been directed to incentivize employees to take furlough days if they choose not to take the 13% reduction. So on the bright note, um, I have been critical of the same issue because on our farms, you know, we, or even on our household budgets, the first thing we do is cut expenses. Um, and so that conversation has finally come to bear. It's not been widely publicized. And, and I, I think the only reason for that is because they didn't want to muddle some of the propositions that were going on. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers your questions. They're beginning to have a common sense conversation around where to cut. Um, unfortunately, what goes along with those cuts for the dairy industry is um, we still have mandates to hit methane reduction. We are still in severe non-attainment throughout the valley where most of the dairies reside uh, for a variety of volatile organic compounds. And so when those reductions happen, our incentive money also dries up to come into compliance, yet the mandate still stays there. And so that's something that I'm gonna work really closely with our lobbying team um, 
It hasn't been a popular conversation, which is to try to move some of these timelines and mandates. So for example, the dairy industry is supposed to at least show progress of coming into compliance by reducing its methane by 40% in 2024. I know we've done that. Um, we've actually hit some really good landmarks recently, but um, if we don't show enough progress for ARB and their perspectives, uh, they will start to regulate methane in a way that will be very cumbersome. So it's, it's, it definitely needs to be done, the reduction in how much expense the state is spending on all kinds of projects. But um, I've, I'm very concerned about private sector having to bear the weight of these mandates. Good question though. Are there other questions from the floor? Hey, Anya, I have one. This is Corinne. Hi, Corinne. So does Western have any thoughts on Colin Peterson losing his reelection and what that might do for dairies out here in California? Um, yeah, his that was a big upset. And ironically, he Colin Peterson, for those of you who um, aren't familiar with, with him, he has been at least on as a ranking member on the House Agriculture for, Committee for 25, 28 years. Um, and he was most recently the chair of the House Ag Committee. He was bested by a Republican. His district uh, in Minnesota actually became more red and they, they sent him packing. And I think that Western doesn't necessarily have a position on that. I think that it is since it looks like the Democrats are going to retain the House, I do fear a little bit that someone with some more progressive ideology is going to be placed as the Ag Committee chair, which directly impacts how we negotiate the Farm Bill, which directly impacts how we negotiate federal milk marketing, um, along with USDA and SNAP and WIC. Uh, so it, there, there's a, it's a great question. It's just a lot of unknowns. Um, if you're NMPF or IDFA, you're, you know, you're literally crying your eyes out right now. Uh, Colin was um, often labeled as the biggest dairy supporter in um, the United States Congress. He knows milk pricing in and out. But if you've had some battles over uh, particularly supply management issues, you didn't really think he was your friend. So I'm trying not to offer my opinion because it's irrelevant, uh, but uh, there, there is another farm bill coming up. <laughs> I know our co-ops have some plans as to how they want to try to adjust some of the uh, class three pricing in the federal milk marketing orders. Um, I know the processors on the IDFA side will have something to say about that. Um, so TBD, I, I wish I had a better answer. It's kind of an, it's, it's a pretty big upset. Um, the Democrats have been worried about him for a long time, but they sent a, a tremendous amount of money uh, over to Kentucky to try to take out Lindsey Graham and failed. Turns out maybe they should have protected Collins' flank a little bit better. I know that was kind of like a wishy-washy CEO answer. No, no, it's all good. I, I agree. I think there's so many unknowns, but um, maybe this is wishful thinking, but if Valadeo is in fact reelected, maybe we could prop him up as being the new 
coveted dairy expert on the House Ag Committee. Again, if he is assigned to that committee, you know, being an optimist here. <laughs> sure. Well, and it, it is a silver lining. I, I actually don't have any doubts that David would get a spot on the House Ag Committee, but um, the real challenge that, and, and if you're not hip to this, I, I don't blame you, but um, California is undergoing a massive census project. And if you didn't fill out your census, boo, because that was one opportunity that people had an op, you know, a chance to say, we need these resources for our communities, whether it's schools, firefighting, you know, fuel load reduction, everyone had a chance to be counted in the census. But what that's doing is it's counting a lot of new households that have either immigrated um, from south or north or east or west. Um, and instead of hovering around 33 million in population, they're projecting over 40 million. And the census is, um, although by design, it's supposed to be impartial and nonpartisan, uh, we are certainly going to see a deeper shade of blue hit California. And so for seats like David's, um, well, right now, TJ Cox, um, it is going to be an astronomical challenge to hold on to those types of seats in 2022. So that redistricting is going to change the landscape of the entire legislature. It's really going to change the landscape of um, the California congressional makeup. And uh, that's something that I hope that everyone who bled for David understands that the challenge is not over and uh, that, that there's going to be a much tougher race in 2022. Okay, well, I really appreciate everyone's uh, brief time this morning. I, I will continue to update you in our update. Please watch our Facebook page for more of these um, meetings if you wanna stay involved. I, I, again, thank everyone for their time. If you do have specific questions, you can always email me at Anya, A-N-J-A, at wudairies.com. I'm happy to answer any further questions. As we wrap this episode up, we want to give a huge thank you to our contributors, Tiffany with Blimling and Anya for making this week's episode possible. Also a huge thanks to all of our sponsors, especially PG&E and Yosemite Farm Credit. If you'd like information on sponsorship or how to advertise on our podcast, please reach out to our office at info at wudairies.com or 209-527-6453. Questions, comments, and content requests for the podcast can be directed to wud.pod at gmail.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform, and that our podcast will be in a abridged version until after the holidays. Have a great week, everybody. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, 
Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.